Hello and welcome everyone. My name is Oliver Kinner. And I'm Ian McAllister. And this is Brainwaves episode 117, bringing you the best in tabletop gaming news. These are the headlines for the week of 20th of March, 2023. Games Workshop goes green. Green Games Guide launched. And Inside the Box liquidates. All this and more on this episode of Brainwaves. We are all aware that the amount of plastic in our hobby has become a concern for many. Being primarily a company that produces miniatures, Games Workshop has come in for questions about what they are doing about the amount they produce. They've never really addressed the issue, until now. In an announcement on the Warhammer community page, Games Workshop have announced a recycling trial starting in a small number of their stores. The Warhammer recycling program will see sprue bins popping up in various UK locations by the end of March. These bins can be used for old sprues, paint pots and even unwanted plastic miniatures, but not metal or resin miniatures. Warhammer promises that everything will be recycled into new materials and products, such as garden planters, playground equipment or even table tennis tables. This statement does however state that the plastic will not make its way back into new models because of the high standards of plastic that Games Workshop require for their products. There is a list of stores participating in the trial on the page we will link to in the show notes. Edinburgh is not on that list, but Glasgow is, and so is Brighton. So maybe we'll see about sending an intrepid reporter to check it out. Well, it's good to hear that a plastics company like Games Workshop are now trying to address the issue of plastics in our hobby. So maybe this is a step towards sustainability? I don't know. We'll see. We'll have to wait and see. Do you, do you think you're going to use it? I mean, do you have to use Games Workshop models? I don't know how much you're into the hobby. Not anymore, no. I used to be a big Games Workshop player back in the day, for, for sure. But yeah, I, I don't really play a lot of miniatures games anymore, though I am getting a couple for a review in the not-too-distant future. So that, that's pretty good. But yeah, it's, it's good to see a big company like this, especially a game, company like Games Workshop, but which by its own mission is a miniatures company that produces games. I mean, a lot, all of Games Workshop money comes from producing miniatures, obviously, of, of various types. The resin miniatures are their sort of more detailed sort of plastic miniatures. They're, they're done by a different process. So yeah, those can't be recycled at the moment, but maybe they'll get there eventually. Maybe uh, They don't really have much in the way of metal miniatures much anymore. Those, yeah, okay. those some of the Forge World stuff, some of the sport specialist stuff, and some of the 30k miniatures are all metal as well. So I don't know if they'll ever get around okay. to doing that or not. But yeah, no, it's 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 a big company making a good step in the right direction. So hopefully some others will follow suit. And maybe they can pick up a few tips from our next story. On Wednesday, the 15th of March, a group of industry professionals came together to launch the Green Games Guide. The core team behind the guide are Dr. Benjamin Abraham, a researcher and consultant on climate and sustainability issues in the digital games industry. T. Cares, sales director for Hatchet Board Games USA. Carlos Flores, a senior climate change and sustainability expert. J.F. Ganga, director of learning and development at Panda Game Manufacturing, a major manufacturer of board games based in China. Jessica Metheringham, a political consultant based in the UK who advocates for environmental and social justice issues. We've interviewed Jessica previously in a meeting of minds on the site. Eric Price, president of Japanime Games and Gamma board member. And Eric Zimmerman, tabletop and video game designer based in New York. The guide aims to provide folk at every level of the tabletop hobby, from CEOs of companies down to players, with the information they need to make informed choices about the environmental and social impact of their games. 
it breaks down these into three core ideas of making games. Climate positive, that is reducing or eliminating carbon emissions. Engaging in the circular economy, that's recycling and minimizing use of natural resources. And social sustainability, recognition of workers' rights and local cultures. The guide has sections on wood, paper and cardstock, plastics, box and packaging, and how to choose the right materials, giving guidance as to what it believes are the current standards industry-wide, and what it would like to see companies achieve in a good, better, best set of guidelines. The guide comes with plenty of useful links to other sources of information. Now, I've had a read through the guide. It seems like a very solid start for this particular piece of uh, guide from these folks. I had a chat with Jessica Meldringham at the recent Aircon convention down in Harrogate. Uh, she was very passionate about bringing real change to the hobby. And this seems to just be the first step in making that happen. The current guide is March, or March this year, so I believe they're planning to update it as more options become available, as they get more information. It's going to become a, a sort of constantly updated living document. I also saw more than one game that was ecologically themed and spoke to Laurie Blake from Stop, Drop and Roll about their game Earth Rising. They've tried making that game as sustainably as possible. And it really feels to me like companies have started to take a real hard look at this in the last couple of years, Oliver. Do you think that's the case? Absolutely. I mean, I've kept an eye on it. And, and like you, I mean, Earth Rising is one of the many games that's now starting to come out. I'm just looking at Forest of Pangaea from a yeah. Berlin designer. Uh, and again, they're all making a point of making the game as sustainably mm. as possible. Uh, and that's not just the components. So like with uh, Earth Rising, you know, they, they thought about how that's working. Where they're obviously manufacturing still tends to be in China, but I think on the whole shipping from them may actually work out cheaper. Uh, not cheaper as in more environmentally friendly uh, than, you know, some, some of the others. I, I don't know about that. But things like, you know... Um, card decks that now use belly bands rather than being wrapped in shrink wrap and stuff like that. Um, the game Forest of Pangai actually was shipped rather than using the usual sort of um, bubble wrap or the sort of foam um, beans and things that you sometimes see in packaging, was actually wrapped in another box, oh. which has like, you know, cardboard around it. So it's like a box in a box to, you know, create it and keep it safe. It was still shrink shrink wrapped. And as far as I know, that's all about, you know, when they're obviously stored in yeah. containers, they get damp. So having shrink wrap around the actual item itself is still important, but at least there's nothing then inside that's, you know, plastics and, and things. Yeah. So it's great to see, and it's certainly a trend, and I'm keeping close eye on it, and I had a quick look through the guide as well. So hopefully when we can, you know, point people in that direction, it is possible to make some changes, but we'll, we'll see what happens, and hopefully, yeah, this becomes a big success. Yeah, it's not only Kickstarters we've seen do this. I think I believe Ravensburger have made a move towards making a lot more of their games sustainable in terms yeah. of their wooden components and how cards are banded up, like you say, Oliver. And also, we've seen quite a few moves from Stonemaier games over the last couple of years, especially the, uh, the most recent editions of Wingspan, which is obviously a yeah. multi-million selling game now. Like all the pl plastic eggs have been taken out and uh, replaced with wooden ones, and the original sort of plastic sort of collection trays and that kind of thing have been replaced with some sort of sustainably produced ones that can be recycled. I can't remember exactly what they're made from, but yeah, yeah, yeah they make an effort. Yeah. Queen, Queen Games with a you know power line. Oh yeah, Queen Games, game well, like yeah. the Green series as yeah. well. So a lot of publishers now coming out with Green Games in quotes um, to a bigger or smaller level, and that's so great to see because. Yeah, with modern manufacturing techniques and things, there's stuff that you know means you don't need to use plastic for everything, even for miniatures potentially. I always like the preferred, like a you know custom wooden meeple to a highly detailed plastic miniature. So, 
you know, th- those may be the only places where we still see the use of plastic. But generally, you know, a lot of times you can get something in amount of wood or other components. And and even let's say the packaging can have different, yeah. uh, you know, using paper and things like that instead. Yeah. So we'll see. Look at looking at see more looking about. at no particular Kilmilly or not in particular. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> In Brainwaves episode 115, we reported on the controversy surrounding Inside the Box Games, a UK publisher with many late Kickstarters and increasing sense of frustration amongst its backers. Employees had taken to the projects on Kickstarter to inform people that they hadn't been paid either for work or redundancy. In an update posted on February the 28th in the Subterra 2 Kickstarter, Peter Blankhern, the CEO of ITB, posted the following. To the backers. I said in the last update at the end of January that I'd update you at the end of February with any news I had. At this stage, I can tell you that Inside the Box has been placed into liquidation with a licensed insolvency practitioner here in the UK and is in the process of that liquidation. Due to the extreme sensitivity of this process, I was instructed by the practitioners not to make this information public up until now. I can tell you at this point that is a prospective buyer for the assets and intellectual property of Inside the Box, which includes all stock, rights, trademarks, etc., and the process is in the final stages. Once the process is completed, which is likely to come soon, the buyer will make a general update to all backers for each campaign affected, as well as contact any other customers and partners. As the process is still ongoing, I'm not in a position to say who the prospective buyer is just yet, so please bear with me until the legal process is completed, as this is out of my control. What this means for this project is that ownership of the existing stock that's in the warehouse in China, as well as the relevant rights inside the box currently holds, will be transferred to the buyer. I can't speak on their behalf as to how they manage the Kickstarter pledges exactly, so until the process is completed, all I can say with certainty is that the project will be taken over by them, and they will handle the project from that point. I've spoken to Tim, the designer of Subterra, as well as the buyer, to coordinate so there's a smooth transition from inside the box to the buyer, such that Tim can continue to benefit from Subterra with another firm at the helm. For the sake of clarity, the liquidation process seeks to sell off the assets of the company to raise as much as is possible, to then pay off as much of the debts and liabilities of the company as possible. Under UK law, this means that from this pot raised from the liquidation, staff are paid out any monies owed first, then the remainder to the government for any outstanding tax bills, then after that, the remainder is apportioned to any other creditors on a pro-rata basis, i.e. split evenly. This means that inside the box as a company will be wound up and cease to exist. Once the legal process has completed and the buyer makes the update to everyone to explain the next steps, I will be providing them with all the relevant information to support them. Once they are satisfied that they have everything they need to proceed, I will cease to have any involvement with this project. Again, I'll provide an update at the end of the month, if not sooner, with more specific information. Peter. Well, this brings this rather sad saga to something of a close. Uh, but many backers are still out the games they were promised at this stage. As the quote there says, I, we don't really know what's going to happen with that. It'll depend on who buys the assets and what money is owed to creditors and staff. And then presumably the company that takes over will then address the backers once they are in control of everything. 
certainly in the past when this kind of thing has happened and it has happened before and Kickstars have been taken over, there has usually been reasonably decent outcomes for backers because the companies want some goodwill from people that are like expecting games from the company they've now bought. So hopefully people will see their games, but it's not going to be soon. Uh, legal processes like liquidation take some time to happen. So yeah, hopefully staff get paid. Hopefully Peter is going to be in a better place now he's sort of rid of all these complications and, and getting help and, and getting the legal processes sorted out now. And we wish him all the best for the future and all the staff at ITB. I hope they do get paid as well. And then hopefully backers will see their games. And now we'll get on to the rest of the news. To start with, we've got some sad news. In a tweet published 2nd of March 2023, one of Newcastle's long-standing board game cafes, Meeple Perk, announced that they will be closing. Their last day of trading will be 1st of April 2023. We were unable to ascertain the reasons for the closure, but we can only assume that the recent economic climate made it impossible for the business to continue. We hope all the staff and the owners of the cafe will be able to find work elsewhere during these tough times. The Financial Times published its 7th annual ranking of Europe's fastest growing companies, the FT1000 list, on the 1st of March 2023. The chart lists companies in order of growth in three years to 2021. It is notable that Irish tabletop role-playing game publisher Cubicle 7 Entertainment has entered the list at 192, based on compound annual growth of 107.3% over that period. Cubicle 7 announced 2.4 million euros in sales in 2021, which is up a total of 790% since 2018, when it recorded sales of 267,000 euros. Founder of Cubicle 7, Dominic McDowell, called the entry into the FT1000 list. A prestigious recognition of our growth to date, and the fantastic award-winning Cubicle 7 team who put their heart and soul into bringing our exciting, social, creative and fun products to life. As the hobby grows, we're likely to see more companies making their way onto such a list and a fantastic achievement by Cubicle 7. That's a massive amount of growth over those couple of years. 790% is, wow, that's a lot of growth. I mean, they're the publishers of the Warhammer Fantasy role-playing game, amongst other things. Uh, They've got some 40k games on the way as well, and they've got the Age of Sigmar RPG. So basically, they're sort of tied into Games Workshop's IP quite hard. But yeah, they are obviously doing incredibly well out of that. So yeah, well done to the team there. I, I, I do wonder, like, as we see the hobby grow like that, will we see more investment from outside sources that don't really care about whether that company is like a role-playing game company or whatever? They just want the assets. What do you think, Oliver? Well, I mean, obviously, with such an astronomic growth, I mean, we're talking nearly 10 times in three years, so it's a tripling every every year, yeah. almost. It's it's just amazing, yeah. And obviously, that sort of growth will attract investors. I would have thought. Yeah. I don't. I don't know how. You know, just. I mean, being listed in the Financial Times FT one thousand list obviously means people will have eye on it and will see that there's another company that may be of interest to someone. As you say, it may you know may not even be a board game or hobby game company, yeah. you know, or role play game company. It might just be an investor who wants to see this company do even better. So. We'll keep them on it. But yeah, it's definitely great news. So congratulations, Cubicle 7. Yeah, and while we're talking about RPG companies. Yes, in a tweet published on the 1st of March 2023, Paizo, publisher of popular tabletop role-playing games Pathfinder, Starfinder, and others, has announced its view on the use of AI art and text within the tabletop role-play games industry. 
Paizo issued a full statement in a photo accompanying the tweet that says that the company will add new language to its creative contracts that stipulate that all work submitted to the company for publication be created by a human. The company will also update the FAQs for the existing games to clarify that AI-generated content is not permitted. Paizo wants to ensure that their products are the work of human professionals who have spent years honing their craft and thank the human artists and writers who have been so integral to the company's success. It's good to see another company looking at AI and the ethical and legal implications that haven't really been touched by anything. There haven't been any cases so far. I think there was potentially one going through. I think we discussed that in a previous episode. But at the moment, no one really knows where we stand with AI. Not the tools themselves, but obviously the output they create where the legal situation is. And ethically speaking, I mean, to me, I know there's a long discussion about it, but to me, the biggest problem is that a lot of these tools have been just using copyrighted work from people to train the system without asking them. Yeah. And I think that's the biggest problem. You know, the output itself, you know, sure, if you want to create art that's, you know, in the public domain and, and you know, train a tool on that, and, and that's fine. But if you're using especially imagery from artists and a lot of them, you know, freelance artists who trying to trying the hardest to make a living... And don't ask them and don't even offer them any recompense. Uh, You know, just creating this art for free just seems wrong. And yeah, but it's nice to see a company like Paizo tackle that. Yeah, I do wonder how it's going to be policed on Pathfinder Infinite, which, as I understand, is a sort of similar to the Dungeons and Dragons portals for Pathfinder, basically. It's like all where you can find, like, sort of create your own PDFs, that kind of thing. The, the fans have created and, and sell through the Pathfinder's portal. So, but how do you like police that? If people start making like AI generated yeah. supplements, can you spot that? Maybe? I, Tricky. I don't think you can really. I think they're working on tools that can identify yeah. AI created work, but that's far from yeah. you know there yet. So we'll see. But certainly a right step in the right direction. For sure. Now, conventions have always had some sort of charity auction. Aircon had a raffle that I was at recently. And we've seen the generosity and compassion of the community expressed many times over the course of Brainwaves reporting on the hobby. And we always want to draw attention to charity efforts when we hear about them. This time, it's the turn of itch.io, which is an online RPG portal, with a bundle of tabletop RPGs to support trans rights in Florida. Ron DeSantis and his Republican cronies have been on a rampage of passing alarming bills and executive orders, all directly impacting trans people, especially young trans people, over the last few months. This bundle will donate money to Zebra Youth, a network of organizations that support LGBTQ plus people aged 13 to 24, and the Trans Inclusive Group, which advocates the protection of all LGBTQ plus individuals in South Florida and builds relationships amongst the communities there to do so. Now, there are just over 500 games in the bundle at time of recording on March the 17th. And that, it would usually go for about $2,159. And you can get it for the princely sum of five, five whole dollars. They're aiming for a quarter of a million dollars and they're about just over halfway there. So if you've got a wee bit of spare cash and fancy getting a whole bunch of games, including some pretty nice titles from what I had a look through, then do please go and check that out. And even if you don't want any of the games, just yeah. buy them anyway. I mean, yeah, it's a good cause. Repub- Florida Republicans look up the link. Yeah, yeah. The Florida Republicans are just on an absolute rampage at the moment of terrible legislation. They're just harming people yes. left, right, and center. 
it's scary what's happening yeah. in America and in other places of the world as well. Yeah. But yeah. So have a look on the uh, the link in the show notes and donate some money. It's always worth doing. Now we're moving on to a lighter story. The Hallmark Channel, an American 24-hour cable television network, announces the release of the film Game of Love, which aired this week at the time of recording on 16th of March. That would have been yesterday. And yes, you guessed it, the film is about board games. In the film, it's two main characters, Audrey, a creative board game designer played by Kimberly Susted, and Matthew, a research-driven marketing consultant played by Brooks Darnell, have to create a new game that helps players find romance. Fog of love, anyone? It is the usual storyline of tight deadlines, main characters with different expectations and personalities, and the realization that neither of them actually knows much about love. However, I'm sure it will all be well in the end. So here we go. We've got another... Well, we've got board games appearing prominently again on TV. Let's put it that way. We had... What was a Wingspan on an episode of... Coronation, Coronation Street? Street? Yeah. What was it? Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, he is now a whole film uh, dedicated to board games. Yep. And from what I've seen, there's quite a lot of games actually that are, you know, modern games we're talking about here. I think one of the designers of one of the games said, oh, there's there's a game uh, that they designed featured that hasn't actually been published yet or something. Wow. So yeah, it's obviously ahead of its time by the sounds of it. If you check Twitter, I'm sure you'll find lots of comments on that film. And but it's great to see. I saw still from it with uh, the main, I think it was the main female lead carrying around a copy of Belfort, for instance. So yeah, there are hobby games in this film. Uh, not not sort not just sort of like more family like more traditional family games like sort of Monopoly Cluedo that kind of thing. There's sort of the hobby game stuff is definitely represented in there. And yeah, it's only small screen. It is Hallmark, so it's not like the biggest thing in the world. But it's fast. It's fascinating that Hallmark would yeah. even use that as a theme these days. So, so yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, nice to see. Yeah, very interesting. Onto our little events section, and just the one we've got Aircon out of the way. It was a UK con I've just visited, and I really, really enjoy myself. You can read all about that on the site. Uh, and the next UK con I'll be attending is Tabletop Scotland in August. Now, last week there was some doubt as to whether this event would go ahead due to funding issues for the venue it is hosted in the Jewish Centre in Perth. Now, earlier today, uh, the 17th of March, it was announced that Jura Centre had secured funding for the next year up until March 2024. So Tabletop Scotland will be going ahead. It'd be lovely to see Yay. some of our listeners up there uh, and we'll probably be involved in the con in some way or form. Don't know what yet because we haven't really spoken to the committee. Uh, but yeah, we'll uh, we'll be there, and yeah, we'll need to get people up, uh, and we we'll need to get Oliver up as well, all the way to Scotland for some gaming. Oh gosh, yeah, I, sh- I need to do that one. Might might not be this year, but maybe next year. Yeah, maybe. And we'd also like to take a little moment to give a little shout out to all our patrons, especially James Naylor and Sean Newman, our executive producers. Thank you so much, everyone, who gives us a little bit of money to help keep the cast running. You can join all our patrons uh, on our Patreon for just one dollar a month, and we also have a Ko-Fi set up now as well. You can give us a one-off donation or a recurring donation like Patreon if you prefer to use that platform. There are a couple of other ways to support us on the site, including buying dice from Metallic Dice Games with the promo code Roll with Brains. That's all capital letters, all one word. And we also have a bunch of t-shirts on Sir Meeple as well, and you can buy some merch to represent the cast around the world. Bowler, it's coming home to Catan. 
It is coming home, yes. Football is coming home, apparently. So while Jamie's away, we can cover board games in our outro that aren't Monopoly. No Monopoly news, but still, very weird, interesting news, I'd say. So this week, it's the turn of the classic Klaus Teuber game Settlers of Catan, or as it's called now, Catan. Cashing in on the World Cup fever of last year, Catan has released a soccer fever scenario. Interesting. From the page description on catanshop.com, Soccer fever has gripped the island of Catan. You and your fellow Catanians are swept up in supporting your hometown teams. Will they win the most matches and finish the season with the Championship Cup? Every time you build a settlement or a city, soccer matches are held. Leading, leading the league will gain you victory points. Amazing. It describes itself as a light-hearted scenario for Catan fans everywhere and tells you that players will be flicking die-cut soccer balls into the pitch to score. What other sports should turn up in games that they will wholly inappropriate that they are sorry. What other sports should turn up in games that they are wholly inappropriate for? I mean we've we've got sheep in Catan. Can we do something with that? No. Sheep I, I was thinking like I, know, it's cow I, I was it? thinking like sedate garden bowling in like Gloomhaven or something. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's a good yeah. idea. Why not? Well, Why not? Well, garden bowling scenario in Gloomhaven? Or, uh, I, I don't know. But yes, if you've got any ideas, Something... listeners, do write in and let us know what your ideas are for games that should really need inappropriate sports tie-ups for some reason. <laughs> I definitely have to get this Catan uh, soccer fever scenario there. That looks amazing. Yeah, it's not out yet, but it will be soon. You can pre-order on the CatanShop.com and presumably at your friendly local game store as well. Thanks very much for listening, everyone. If you like what you've listened to, then the best way to help us out is to share the podcast and drop us a review and rating on iTunes. You can also follow Oliver at table.gamesblog.com. You can come on to our Discord. We'll put an invite in the show notes, and you're very welcome along there to discuss the news of the day, discuss games with us in general, and join us for regular game nights. Uh, I'm on Twitter at TheGiantBrain. Uh, our Instagram is GiantBrainUK. On Facebook, we're just the Giant Brain, and our website, where you can find all these casts and all our articles, is thegiantbrain.co.uk. And you can email us with all of your inappropriate sports in board games ideas at GiantBrainUK at gmail.com. We'll be back in two, three weeks' time, and we'll see you then. Thank you very much. See you then. Thank you. Bye. Bye.